You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. Every week I discuss practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood your sanity, your relationships, and almost everything else in your life. We'll talk about why we do the things we do and what we can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. My goal is to help you step into your power with every episode and do whatever it takes to help you discover the resources you need to create the life you want. Today we're talking about eliminating triggers in relationships. I touch on triggers here and there throughout this show, but I thought it was about time we had a full episode on exactly what triggers are and the steps we can take to decrease or completely dissolve them in our relationships. This should be an interesting episode because we're going to use actual techniques that you may or may not have heard before. One or two of these may be straight out of the book of neuro-linguistic programming because they are just that effective. If you don't know what NLP is, Let's just say it's a way to communicate with a part of you that isn't conscious. It's not hypnosis, but it's a deeper level of questions and techniques that help you change from the inside out. Triggers are powerful and can be quite damaging to relationships. They're powerful in the sense that they are practically unstoppable when they arrive, and they are typically damaging because when we're triggered, we make decisions from that triggered state. And these decisions are usually different than the ones we make when we aren't triggered. Our behavior changes, our motivation changes, everything. It's like we have an entirely different personality. We'll go over what triggers are momentarily, but by the time the episode is over, you'll recognize your own triggers and what you can do when you get triggered. This is one of those subject matters that might push some buttons, but that's pretty much what happens when you talk about what triggers someone anyway. You push their buttons. Talking about triggers is bound to pull up your own triggers. So all I ask is that you stick around for the full episode so I can take you out of your triggered state so you can start enjoying life again. I want you to be able to experience life with clarity and purpose, not cloudiness from being in an altered emotional state, which is basically what happens when you get triggered. Like I said, we'll get into how I define triggers in a moment, but for now, Just think about a trigger as something that upsets you. For example, you might get triggered when you see a sink full of dirty dishes. You might get triggered when someone leaves their toys all over the floor. And sorry guys, not just kids do that. (laughs) Or you could get triggered when you see the toilet seat left up. Triggers happen and they change our mood. They change our behavior and our state of mind. And believe it or not, Many of us are in a continuously triggered state, causing us to see the world through clogged filters. And when we can't see clearly, we find it hard to make decisions and do behavior from a place of clarity. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this with you. Triggers aren't fun, but they can be diminished or completely obliterated. So stick around. In 2006, I met who I believed to be my soulmate, a woman who I was attracted to physically and mentally and also personality-wise. We hit it off immediately, and I was completely falling for her within a few days. In fact, we were falling for each other fast. So we both dove into the relationship head first, knowing that we finally found, quote, the one that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with. Actually, it may have taken a few weeks before we felt that way, but it was soon into our relationship that we both knew that this was what we wanted. However, something happened in the first few weeks that set the tone for the next eight years. 
I got triggered. She told me she was addicted to sugar. And at that time, I figured, who isn't addicted to sugar? (laughs) Sugar isn't a lot of food, so I really didn't take her comment too seriously. Until I found out she truly had a challenge saying no to sweets. But after she told me that, and I pretty much ignored the comment, I started seeing the signs of her addiction. Her mood changes, her desperation for comfort food, and the times she told me that she couldn't remember purchasing sugary treats in the store than downing them in the car. I got triggered because I didn't want an addict in my life, whether they were addicted to alcohol like my stepfather or addicted to drugs or food or whatever. I spent 20 years in a house with an alcoholic and I was ready to leave all that stuff behind. Now I realize that sugar addiction and alcohol addiction are two different beasts, but to someone who's been through the stress of an addictive household, I feared living in that kind of environment again. Her emotional eating triggered my fear that I was trapped with someone who couldn't control their behavior. I also got triggered that I was not loved and that the sugar was more important than me. My triggers activated and soon everything I did was from that place. My attitude and behavior changed when her attitude and behavior changed because of her cravings. When she needed sugar or comfort food, she was a different person, almost out of control. In reality, I probably should have left the situation, but I locked myself in. I wanted her love, so I stayed. I wanted the comfort she gave me, so I stayed. I wanted everything a person could get from a healthy relationship, so I stayed. The problem was that this was an unhealthy relationship in many ways. One of those ways was her addiction, but the other was my reaction to her addiction. I could have responded out of compassion and supported her, asking her what she needed from me and That may have allowed her to feel safe and find solutions on her own. But instead, I reacted out of ego, worrying about my needs not getting met and upset that she loved sugar, which meant that she didn't love me. This is the stuff that goes on in our heads sometimes. We get into a situation, then get triggered, and then blame the other person for our triggers. I mean, in reality, my triggers were mine, and I needed to process and release them before ever having the ability to be there for her with compassion. And if I did get over my triggers, then I would have had a clear head on the best steps to take for me and for us. But I didn't, not for a long time. Almost from the very beginning of the relationship, I was triggered. And while triggered, I couldn't feel open and free to love and be happy. When I was triggered... I wasn't able to fully express my full passion and love for my partner. I wasn't there for her. I was only watching out for me, and for about seven years, I was continuously triggered. And for about seven years, she closed off from me bit by bit. And that's what happens when you're triggered in any relationship. The person whose behavior you're triggered by closes off little by little because they feel less and less safe around you. We got married in three years and then got a divorce four years after that. She closed her heart to me because I couldn't open mine. And a year before she left, I was able to release my major triggers and become more open and free, able to love from a whole new place inside me. But by that time, she couldn't trust me inside her heart again, so... I was closed out permanently. This is what happens when we get triggered. We slowly and surely cause the other person to take one more step back away from us so that they can protect themselves from us, even if their behavior is the cause of our trigger. In other words, I got triggered by her addictive behavior, causing her to back away from me, closing the door on our relationship forever. I mean, no one can really cause our hearts to close. We actually do that ourselves out of protection. But there is usually a direct cause and effect in play. And it works both ways. When she would eat emotionally, I would get triggered. And when I get triggered, she would sense it and then eat emotionally. 
It was a vicious cycle and there was no way out until one of us stopped the behavior. I finally chose to address my triggers, but it was obviously too late to repair the damage that had been done. So we broke up, got a divorce, and went our own way. Lots of pain, lots of lessons. And we both needed a whole lot of growing and healing afterward. So let's talk about triggers and what it takes to process them and maybe even release them. A trigger is what happens when someone says or does something that causes a negative emotion to suddenly arise in you. It's the fear and anger you get when you're cut off in traffic, or it's the sadness and maybe even rejection you feel when watching someone you love pick up a drink when they promised you they'd never drink again. It's what happens inside you when you find out your business associate stole from you. Triggers are those sudden negative reactions that rise up within us when what we hope or expect is not met. Triggers are stored deep in our subconscious mind, just waiting for a familiar situation to appear so that they can be activated. Think of triggers as old emotions being reawakened when your brain senses what it believes to be a threat. A trigger can also be something positive too, like laughter. But in this episode, we're talking about the types of triggers that feel bad. A trigger is usually created once, then repeated over and over again throughout your life until you release it. A trigger is usually created because of a survival need and most often when we're children. For example, one of my triggers was that when I sensed an addictive behavior in someone, I felt fearful and sad. This started as early as I can remember when the alcoholic in the house drank. As soon as I saw what he did when he was drunk, I became fearful and just wanted to survive. So my trigger about addictive behavior got created at that time. This was extremely beneficial in the sense that it kept me safe from other addicts and their unpredictable behavior. By developing a survival behavior, or a trigger, I stayed safe. I knew what behavior to avoid and kept that trigger throughout my life. The drawback of having that trigger was that, in some contexts, it was inappropriate. In the context of living in an alcoholic home as a child, it was appropriate. I knew when to feel fear and when to be hyper-aware of everything going on around me. It was useful. In the context of a more, quote, normal relationship, if I detected possible addictive behavior and I got triggered, it may not have been appropriate to be triggered in that situation. The triggers can lie dormant in us for years until something happens that, well, triggers it. That's why it's called a trigger. They are emotions and feelings that get shot out from our subconscious mind, like a mousetrap gets triggered. The mousetrap of our mind is very sensitive and could trigger under the right circumstances. And a mousetrap could sit for years with nothing to trigger it until one day, snap, it goes off and the bad emotions rise to the surface. These bad emotions are usually from long ago. They were appropriate for a certain time in our life, but may no longer be applicable anymore. They were based on different circumstances when we were younger and less capable of handling ourselves. We brought them with us into today, where we're no longer children trying to figure out how to survive, but we're adults relying on childhood beliefs to get us through some very adult situations. I mean, imagine that. We rely on childhood beliefs to get us through adult situations. We take how we learned to respond and survive as children into our careers and relationships and other areas of life. And then we wonder, what's wrong with the world? <laughs> because our only filter is what we see when we're triggered. If you've ever been abused in any way, I know you know what I mean. Triggers come out of nowhere and soon you're wanting to run away. And the people exhibiting the behavior that is causing your triggers may not even know what's happening to you. Their behavior could be completely unrelated to your triggers, but have similar qualities or components that you find 
disconcerting or threatening. And that's the hardest part about triggers. They are typically old negative beliefs that probably don't apply to current situations. This creates havoc in what could otherwise be a healthy, happy relationship. But the good news is, once you figure out that a trigger is based on old beliefs, you can take a step or two towards eliminating that trigger if it no longer serves you. And we'll be getting into that very shortly. When you're triggered, old programming takes over. It's that part of you that still believes it's younger and can't handle what's being thrown at you. You believe what used to be true still is. For example, I used to believe that people who drank alcohol were very dangerous or scary to be around. I also believed that when they drank, they didn't love or even like me. The reason I believe that is because when I was a child, I never got love or attention when my stepfather drank alcohol. So I took this belief into my adult life as a trigger. This trigger contained within it all sorts of emotions like sadness and fear and loneliness and I'm sure a few other things. So when I was around someone, especially a romantic partner, and they drank, I suddenly felt sad and afraid and lonely. They would rather be with alcohol than me. Of course, this is a child talking, and that's my first talking point today. Emotional triggers are almost always a child's creation. Your triggers were most likely created when you were a child. When something happened that caused you to be upset, the more impactful it was, the more likely a trigger was formed. And the more it repeated, the more the trigger was reinforced, causing you to be really sensitive to circumstances similar to what created your trigger in the first place. And on top of that, when we're children, we don't realize exactly what caused us to be upset. So we make associations that aren't always true. For example, if as a child you dropped a glass in the kitchen that caused it to shatter and your mom or dad came in and yelled at you for being so clumsy, you might relate fear to being yelled at. And if you got yelled at multiple times for doing things like that, you would eventually develop a trigger that correlated fear with being clumsy or careless. This might cause you to become a super perfectionist or super responsible. Children are never clumsy as they're still learning the basics of coordination. But being a child, you believed it. But another trigger that might have been created at that time was that you fear being yelled at. You might cower or just want to get away. Yelling could mean a number of things, but being triggered and fearful when someone yells is not a fun place to be, especially if you ever want to go anywhere where people are yelling and having a good time. <laughs> but childhood triggers like this play out when we're adults, which can cause problems in our adult relationships. Emotional triggers are almost always created when we're children. But the problem is they rarely get evaluated in the current circumstances. In this example, someone could be yelling, but it could mean anything. But the trigger still kicks in, causing you to feel a certain way. It's this feeling that usually gets us down. It's this trigger, this thought association between what's happening now and what happened long ago that clouds our mind so we can't think straight. Once we're triggered, we start to believe things that may not be true. The person yelling may not be mad, or they may be mad, but not at you, or they may be mad at you, but the trigger makes you feel a certain way and you react as if their yelling is always about you. And your fearful reaction is something you felt when you were a child. One of the first and usually most difficult steps to take when wanting to avoid coming from a triggered place is to recognize when you're being triggered. The step is difficult because a trigger is an unconscious response, meaning that you're not conscious of it happening and just suddenly feel a negative emotion come on. So in order to recognize when you're being triggered, first ask yourself if anything in your relationship triggers you. Just think of a bad feeling you get when so-and-so does something. For example, when John smokes, I get triggered. Or when Mary puts me down in front of other people, 
I get triggered. Think of something that comes up for you. You got it? If not, just think of your intimate relationships. There's always someone who triggers something in you. I have a relative that obligates me to do things for other people. It's actually annoying and it triggers me. It's not a strong trigger, but it's there. So when you have someone in mind, think about the trigger. What emotion comes up? Is it anger? Sadness? Fear? Think of the emotion or emotions, plural, that come up for you. What are they? Just notice what they are. This is the first step, recognizing the trigger and identifying the emotion that comes up. What triggers you and what emotions come up for you? There may be other thoughts mixed in there too. If so, that's okay. But figure out what emotions are attached to those thoughts and just realize what triggers you and what emotions come up because of that trigger. And now that we have something to work on, let's move into the next step. All right, if you've identified the trigger and the emotion, the next step is to ask yourself an important question. What is the earliest memory I have of feeling this way? What is it? What is the earliest memory you have of feeling this way? Think about way back in your past to recall what your earliest memory of this feeling is. Can you come up with anything? Even if you can't, sometimes you can come up with an age or a certain time in your life. Getting to the earliest memory can be a crucial part of the process as that is typically when the trigger was formed. What's interesting is that just by recalling the moment you first felt the same feeling and these same emotions, you actually decrease the impact the trigger has on you now. Remember, these triggers were created at one point in time. You weren't born with them. Though if you think you were, then go back to the moment either when you were born or even before. I know that may sound strange, and I'm not here to debate whether we have memories before a certain age, but I will say that how our subconscious stores these memories is what's most important. If your subconscious mind thinks that the very first time this feeling or emotion happened was sometime before birth or even sometime before conception, then that's what you go with. Whether the memory is really during or before your birth doesn't matter. Again, the subconscious mind organizes memories in the way it wants to organize them. So if there's a belief in there that the first time you felt this way was a time that you weren't even born yet, then let it be. If you listen to the episode on repressed emotions cause harm to the body, you may remember I said that thoughts need to flow, not be resisted. Otherwise, you create obstacles in your mind and body. Flowing thoughts keep your internal systems moving. Resisting what you think can't possibly be true slows your systems down. Thoughts are creations in the mind to help you process information. They are what happens inside to help you remember things, organize and prioritize and even learn and grow and heal. So no matter what form they come in, there's always a message in every thought. So just like there's a reason and a moment in time when a trigger is formed, there's a reason and moment a thought is formed. So if your mind thinks you were six when this trigger was created, go with it. If your mind thinks it was created in a past life 20 generations ago, go with it. It doesn't matter what's real. It matters how the brain stored the information. I once had a friend remember meeting me 21 lifetimes ago when she went to visit the moment her asthma started. I mentioned her in the last episode. That's pretty wild, isn't it? <laughs> but I didn't question whether it was true or not. I just had her go with it. And once she did, her asthma disappeared. Now, how did that happen? That's the next thing we're going to talk about. Once you get to a place where you believe the trigger started, the next step is to go beyond that and remember what happened just before that trigger. 
Let's talk about that next. Now that we have some sort of age or period of time where we believe the trigger started, the next step is to recall what happened just before everything that led up to that event started. In other words, if you remember what happened that caused the trigger to form, do you remember what happened a day or a week or even a year before that? You see, what happens in our mind and why triggers are so powerful and pervasive is because we tend to never go beyond and before the trigger in order to get triggered. (laughs) Okay, that sounded confusing. Let me explain that a little better. Let's say the trigger formed at six years old. When you're triggered today, the thoughts and emotions that come up are from the time you were six years old. So if you're at work and someone looks at you funny or says something that triggers you, the reaction you had at six comes out. Isn't that interesting? We actually regress in age and behavior when we're triggered. Let me say that again. We regress in age and behavior when we're triggered. When my ex-wife would reach for sweets, I regressed to about five years old to a time when I was scared and felt alone and felt unloved because my stepfather reached for alcohol instead of reaching to give me a hug. When I got triggered by my ex-wife just a few years ago, I felt like I was five years old again, as if it were the same situation. This is the old belief I carried with me well into my 30s. Triggers cause you to repeat emotions and behavior that you had when you were younger. They are time machines for your mind. So my point is that because we regress to a time younger than who we are now, we get stuck at the point that the trigger was created. In other words, I never regressed to four or three or even younger because my brain knew that the way to respond was created at five. My brain knew that when I come up on a similar situation that I had in the past to refer to how I responded at age five. It's almost a straightforward stimulus response behavior. Like when you're driving along and you see a police car and immediately check your speedometer. (laughs) Unless you've never had the experience of getting pulled over for speeding, you're likely to check your speedometer every time you see a police car on the road or at least get your foot ready to press the brakes. That's also a trigger. You see a police car on the road, you get triggered. A reaction occurs and you press the brake or check your speedometer or if you're really scared, turn around and hope he never saw you. (laughs) So what we need to do is tell the brain to refer to a time in the past that is before your trigger was formed. We need to say to our brain, okay brain, the next time I'm triggered, go before six years old or whatever time period it is for you and look for your response there. So when you get triggered today, the brain can go before the trigger was ever formed and figure out another way to respond. How? Well, that's what we're talking about in this segment. This exercise is to help you remember the time period that you believed that trigger was formed and recall what happened before that event, or at least go back in your mind way before that event got created, before your trigger ever happened. For me, I'll do my best to remember what it was like before the age of five before anything even remotely close to that event happened. What this does is force your brain to create a new pattern. Our brain is so used to returning to that same event, but never before it, before all the bad stuff might have happened. The brain stops at that place and recreates the scenario today, producing the emotions today as if they were one in the same event. I know this sounds really abstract and I apologize, but even as I talk, new patterns are forming in your brain. I'm serious. Even if you can't understand or follow everything I am saying, your confusion actually creates new patterns. I'm sorry about that. I didn't warn you in advance that this would be one of those healing episodes. Sometimes healing needs to take place at a deeper level of conscious thought where your conscious mind gets out of the way so that you can have a happier, more productive, and fulfilling life. Unless you don't want that. I mean, I can 
stop all of this right now. But I have a feeling you want this for yourself. So I'm going to go into the next segment, but we're getting close to release here. Stay with me. So anytime someone triggers you today, you respond from yesterday, so to speak. That's because the brain loves to remember patterns. Once the brain stores a pattern, it refers to it every time so it doesn't have to spend the energy creating a new pattern. But what's interesting is that the brain also loves to create new patterns. The brain follows existing patterns of behavior, you know, the kind you created when you were young, so it always responds the same way. But it also likes to learn new patterns, which is exactly what we're here to do today. So let's get back to the original event that caused the trigger. How old were you? Was it even during this lifetime? Remember, the brain doesn't care if that's a silly question or not. Just ask and see what comes up for you. Once you have the time period, like I said before, go back a day or a week or a year before the original event ever happened and realize that the thoughts and emotions aren't there. Do you know what I'm saying? The thoughts and emotions you felt from the original event, the one that caused the trigger in the first place, aren't further back in the past, way before the original event. Where are they? Have they disappeared completely from your mind? And if you still feel anything when you go way back before that original event, go back even further. In fact, go back to a point where you are nowhere near those thoughts or bad feelings. This is just in your mind, remember. It's actually a journey you take through your subconscious mind to return to a time before the sequence of events took place to realize that the emotions weren't there at a certain point in time. The trigger was formed at a moment, but way before that moment is when there wasn't that trigger. And you can't seem to find where those bad feelings went because you are way before any of that ever started. Are you thoroughly lost yet? (laughs) If so, good. If you are following right along, you are in the right place. If you are lost, you are also in the right place because your brain is creating a new pattern. The pattern is the connection between getting triggered now and what it refers to in the past. And if something triggers you today, Imagine if you didn't regress to that period in your life when that trigger was formed. Imagine if your brain referred to the time before that trigger was formed, where the bad feelings and emotions didn't even exist. That would be nice, wouldn't it? If you think of a trigger as a belief attached to a set of emotions, and when you get triggered today, you're just accessing an old belief, what will happen if your brain tries to access a new belief with new good feelings and emotions. Will you feel good instead? I promise we're almost done with this abstract stuff. (laughs) The brain loves patterns, so we're doing what we can to break patterns that are no longer useful. Once we break the association between getting triggered today and what you feel because of that trigger, you can make decisions from a place of clarity. When you are clear, you can respond to situations without the cloudiness of bad feelings and old triggers. That means that if there's a situation where someone used to trigger you, you can still determine if you want that situation in your life anymore. An example of that is, let's say you don't want your partner or someone close to you to do drugs. Then you find them with drugs in their pocket or catch them doing them or whatever. You might normally get triggered, then respond from that triggered place. You don't like to feel sad or hurt, so you stay in the relationship hoping you'll soon feel happy again when this particular event passes. This scenario could replay over and over again, as it often does in toxic relationships. However, if you don't get triggered, at least with the same intensity you normally would, you could respond from a place of clarity. If you weren't emotionally triggered, Do you think you would be more confident in what you want for yourself? Do you think you could stand up and tell the other person what you want in your life and in your relationship? 
When you aren't in trigger mode, you have a clearer perspective of what you want in your life. You're not coming from a place of hope and desperation. You're coming from a place of conviction and certainty. You lay your cards on the table and wait for a response. In other words, not being triggered when you, say, catch them doing drugs, you could say, hey, if you want to do drugs, you can be alone until you're ready to grow up. When you get to that point, let me know. I'm just using drug use as an example. For me, I stayed in trigger mode almost my entire marriage. This affected my compassion towards my wife. It also affected my sex drive and my mood and my support for her. Almost everything. I was triggered whenever she reached for sweets. So that meant I had my radar on all the time. I used to be very judgmental about it. But once I dropped those judgments by doing exercises like this, I came to a new place inside myself and accepted that as her issue, not mine. I became compassionate towards her and stopped judging her. This helped me stop being so self-centered and more open about her process. I spent so many years being clouded by my own bad feelings and judgments that I never saw beyond my own fears. Once my triggers were gone and I didn't have any fears to draw from, I was able to move forward in the relationship. And she recognized this. And I remember the first time she really recognized this because she wasn't sure what she should do now. <laughs> she was so used to me being triggered that she developed responsive behavior to my triggers. Now that I was no longer triggered, she didn't know how to respond. I felt bad for having put her through so much of my own crap. But it was kind of funny watching her figure out what to do now that I wasn't being triggered because much of her behavior was dependent on my triggers. This is why it's important to recognize that when one person changes or evolves in the relationship, the other person has to change or evolve too because their behavior is always dependent on the other's behavior. One person no longer gets triggered, the other person has to learn a new behavior. It was freeing to lose those triggers, but at the same time, there was an adjustment period that we had to go through. If you know my story, you'll remember that after I learned to let all of my triggers go, she had already decided that she wasn't returning to the relationship. So it was too late for us at that point. That can happen. Your triggers can push someone away to the point of no return. This is why I wanted to create this episode, because being triggered all the time doesn't have to be a way of life. Your triggers can stop, and you can have a more rewarding life with the ones you love. So when you think about what it was like way before the first event that caused your trigger in the first place, and can't find those bad feelings way back when, you create a new pattern in your brain. But how do we know this? <laughs> We have to test it. We have to try on the trigger and see and feel if we have the same response. So let's start our journey back to the present through all the years back into where we are today. We thought about our trigger, or at least one of them, and took a trip back in time to the point it was created. We may or may not have remembered exactly what created the trigger, but that's okay. Then we went back further in time to make sure that there were no other times before that where that trigger could have formed. And once we figured out when that first time was, whether it was during the entire time you've been alive here or before that, we went back even further to experience what it was like to not have those bad thoughts and feelings. Now, we're coming back to today. And right now, I want you to think about that trigger again and what causes it nowadays. And really imagine yourself in a scenario with someone where you would normally get that old trigger. Go right into that moment with that person in your mind and make it real. See what you'd see. Hear what you'd hear. And really make the experience real. Are you there? Now put yourself in the old trigger moment. Does it have the same effect? 
Is it more powerful or less or not there at all? Has it disappeared or is it completely gone? We're not one-on-one, so I can't tell what you're experiencing, but you may experience less of a trigger now or even nothing at all. Regardless of what you experience, this exercise is also helping you create a new pattern in your brain as well. After all, thinking about real scenarios that bother you in any way and then going through the process in your mind step-by-step is how to follow the pattern your brain knows. Then to change that pattern, we do the exercises we just did. And we can even visualize a different response to something that triggers us over and over again in an attempt to write new patterns as well. Visualizations can work when repeated time and time again, but in my experience, they usually don't overwrite an old trigger. They can, but you must practice them a lot in order for the old triggers to disappear. And even then, the emotions are hard to overwrite. But if you did notice little or no change when replaying the trigger in your mind, go through this process again, but go back even further in time, way before anything began that had any relevance to the time when the trigger was created. I'll walk through the process quickly during the summary so you won't have to replay this entire episode. But we've gone quite far in this episode and I've really challenged your brain to keep up. (laughs) If this made sense, then you're probably used to doing this kind of mind work. If you had trouble following along, that's actually even better because it helps you form new patterns in your brain, making new habits and processes stick better. Either way, There's a new horizon for you along your journey to a stress-free life. So let's go over what we talked about today in the most practical, down-to-earth way so that we don't get so lost in thought. (laughs) 1. Triggers are like old cassette tapes that play old programs. You get triggered by someone or something that happens, and that old cassette plays once again. 2. When you're triggered, you are regressing to a younger version of yourself that learned how to react or respond to your environment. If you had something happen to you when you were younger that caused a significant impact to your nervous system, where you felt high emotional stress, then that's most likely when a trigger was formed. 3. We take these triggers that formed years ago into our adult relationships. This causes problems because most of what happens today is not the same context of when the trigger was created so long ago. If you formed triggers when you were a child living with your parents or other guardians, then that situation is different than your current situation, most likely. Though you do have to be aware that some situations are similar. If you had an abusive mom or dad, then you married an abusive person. You created the same context in which your old triggers will stay active. Which is why it's so important to break the pattern of old triggers so you can think from a place of clarity. Number four, thinking from clarity gives you more options and allows you to see what you can't see when you're triggered. When you can disengage trigger moments from the bad thoughts and feelings, You're empowered to engage your assertiveness, confidence, and conviction to state what you want and don't want in your life. Living without the cloudiness of triggers is living with passion and purpose. It is a healthy, selfish state (laughs) instead of an unhealthy, self-centered, fearful state. There is a difference as selfishness can contain compassion for others while self-centeredness is more about your own ego, your own wants and needs and fears and desires. Remove the cloudiness, become healthy, and make decisions that positively affect you and your well-being. Number five, the steps to this entire process are as follows. Think of something that triggers you now. Identify the emotions that you get from being triggered. Go way back in your mind and think about the very first time you felt this way. 
If you can't figure out what caused the trigger in the first place, just think of an age or a time period when it might have happened. Once you think of a time when it might have been created, think about a time long before that when you didn't even have those negative feelings. Think about a day or a week or even years or maybe even lifetimes before that first event ever happened. This is just your brain's way of storing information. Just allow it to go wherever it needs to go to find a place when all of those emotions are completely gone now. When you are way before any of those old feelings, come back to now and imagine a time when you might get triggered in the future. Does it have the same impact? Are the emotions completely gone? And I didn't say this before, but if they have disappeared completely, just lock that feeling into place, sort of like a safe with a combination lock. The safe is your safe, and whenever you have an experience where that old trigger used to happen, your safe has locked into place what you'll be feeling instead of those old feelings. Hey, this doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> you can just let old feelings go and allow yourself to feel safe. Now, that's something you want for yourself, right? Number six, finally, remember that triggers are almost always the creation and belief system of a child. When you were young, you learned how to respond to the world. Imagine if you kept all of your childhood beliefs. Having a childlike playfulness can make life enjoyable sometimes, but having a childlike fear can be intrusive in normal life. It can wear you down and make you see the world through filters that aren't necessarily telling you the whole truth. Triggers are normal responses from our brain, but they don't have to stay in our lives if they are causing problems. Learn to recognize your triggers and start looking inward for the solution, not outward at the world. The first step towards the solution is realizing that you are the first step in the process. Learning that my triggers were the actual cause of the problems in my relationships and not my partner's behavior was what changed everything for me. And once I was able to address them within myself, my relationship changed. It had to. I was a different person from that point on. If I wasn't behaving the way I used to behave, they had to respond differently as well. Every relationship is a dynamic machine that works off of each component. Change one component and the whole machine changes. When my stepfather moved out of the state, that one change made the entire family more relaxed and at peace. One component of the system changed and everyone in the family changed along with it. Once you recognize and process your own triggers, the other person changes or the relationship doesn't evolve. Let's wrap this up. What would it have taken to save my marriage? What if I started looking at my triggers a few years before it ended? Would that have helped? I think if I caught them early on, maybe about three or so years before it ended, the marriage probably would have slowly worked its way back into a healthy place. My wife would have started trusting me more and more, seeing that I was no longer reacting to her behavior. When that happened, she would have felt safe around me and started exploring options to help herself out of the situation she was in with her eating issues. Or she may have still had the issues for years or forever. But the most important part was that I reached a place where her issues were not my issues. Once I made that realization, I could make a choice about the relationship that I was comfortable with. After I dealt with my triggers, I was able to comfortably decide that her challenges with comfort food were not my challenges in loving the person I was with. This changed everything. But because she was already worn down, she chose to leave. But I share this story with you because you have a chance right now to think about the triggers you have that cause problems in your relationships, whether they're romantic or with friends or relatives or whomever. The triggers that you have 
can destroy relationships because they're yours. The other person may not even know why you're getting upset because your childhood belief system is kicking in, probably not even related to what's happening right here and now. When you can release those triggers, or at least diminish them so that they don't consume you when they happen, you'll see positive changes in your relationship and feel better because you aren't consumed by others' behaviors, and you'll open your heart to compassion and maybe even a little bit of unconditional love. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Keep up with the show by heading over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and sign up for your weekly personal growth message. You can also write to me anytime by sending me an email to paul at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I want to also thank the many listeners who are using the link theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash Amazon. If you find this show valuable to you, just say thank you by shopping at Amazon through the link theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash Amazon. You are making a difference and it's going towards a good cause. You. Triggers sneak up on us. They arrive like an old relative we didn't expect and stay longer than we want and then they really start to stink up the place when they're around. (laughs) Just recognizing you have a trigger is the beginning. But remembering what it was like before you ever had those emotions is the first connection to make to a part of you that was once not triggered. When you can connect with that part of you where you felt good and maybe even happy, and it may have been a long time ago, I realize, then you're making a new association. You are associating the trigger of today with the good feelings you had so long ago. You can do this. I believe in you. You absolutely deserve to be happy and not let old programs run your life. So let your light shine so bright that it obliterates all those old triggers and reveals to the world what I already know to be true. That you are amazing. Amazing.